My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church, and uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning and to be um, just trying to get a little bit of scripture with you here this morning. We're continuing our series in Second Corinthians, um, and we're in, uh, let's see, where are we? We're in chapter 5 again uh, this week, two weeks ago. Um, last week, Pastor talked about our vision for one church and how Christ brings us together, and the week before that, he talked some about this passage, um, and I wanna, I'm going to summarize that just a tiny bit, and then I, I want to I highlight one little phrase that's in here and try to get at that this morning with you and with me. And I, the Lord's been getting at it with me with that phrase, and so I'm going to offer it to you um, today. So um, here we go. Uh, I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Um, And it reads, uh, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's like a whole sermon series in and of itself, but I'm going to move on. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And that's just some really good news that Pastor talked about. It's awesome. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ And even gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Everybody say, be reconciled. reconciled. Oh, that was Colin. Thank you. Did you, did you guys hear call? I'm, of course you did. Um, it was awesome. Um, so there's this imagery that Paul is getting at. And I love reading Paul because he, he, he gets it. He uses so much imagery to help us understand stuff that is just ridiculously huge and amazing. Now, here he's talking about this reconciliation. And today I'm going to try and get at this idea of this ministry of reconciliation. But before we get there, I want us to understand reconciliation in and of itself. And it's this word. And if you can imagine, there are two people who have related to each other. And now the relationship is broken. One of those two people has broken the relationship. They've busted it. It's busted stuff, and now the relationship is not what it once was. It's broken down. It's messed up. It's all of that. Now, typically, when that happens with you and with me, and I'm just going to speak for, I'm going to speak for myself a lot today, and that will make it easier on you, and, and it will be true for me. <laughs> so here we go. Um, typically, when someone breaks a relationship with me, I automatically assume that they should right the ship and not me. Right? If you broke it, you fix it. You break it, you buy it? Oh, it's just me this morning? Oh, right, we're just talking about me. So, you broke it, you fix it. That's how I feel in relationships. If somebody wrongs me, if somebody's talking bad about me, if somebody, I typically say, you have broken this and now you need to rectify it. You need to restore it. You need to be the one who reconciles it. Reconciliation being the bringing together of two in relationship, where a relationship was once broken. So you need to fix it. You broke it. You fix it. Now, what God does, and this is what Paul is getting at, and he's trying to describe it because it's so ridiculously incredible. What God did is not what I do. 
What God did is, even though he didn't break the relationship between me and you, we broke it, right? We get that, don't we? We broke it. We broke it with our sin. We break relationships every day with our selfishness, with our gossip, with our pride, with our hate, with our, uh, with you cut me off and how dare you. You broke it, you fixed it. But God, we broke this relationship with God and God does the opposite of that. God, even though he didn't break it, even though he did nothing to destroy the relationship between us and him, between creation and himself, he is the one who sends Jesus to fix it. He is the one who sends the reconciler to reconcile us to himself. He's the one who restores the relationship. We broke it. He fixes it. Oh, man, that's really great news. And that's what Paul, yeah, it is. And that's what Paul's getting at. Paul's getting it. He should have waited for us. He should have. He had every right to say, how dare you? How could you, creation? To me, Brian, Brian, how dare you? How could you? I raised you in the church. I gave you a good family and you still clang and clung to this lust and this hate and this selfishness. How dare you, Brian? How could you? But that is not at all what Jesus does. In the face of me breaking it, Jesus comes and says, I'm giving my life away for you. And he suffers and bleeds and dies on a cross. He reconciles me to himself. He invites me home, even in the midst of my brokenness. And Paul's like, mind melt, right? If you're not having one, you should be having one. You're like, I I know this, Brian. No, seriously, this is still true for you and me. This is still mind melt stuff. That we broke it and he's the one who comes to restore it. Now, there's another image I want, I want to paint for you as we kind of think about before we get into this ministry of reconciliation. And it's the image that John uses in the book of Revelation in chapter 5. And I've used it before and I love it. I can't get enough of it and I have to do it again. So here we go. Chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. So, so John wrote the book of Revelations. He was um, punished for teaching and preaching to an island, the island of Patmos, by himself so that he couldn't preach and teach Jesus anymore. So Romans punished him, sent him to the island of Patmos so he wouldn't talk about Jesus as Lord because Caesar's Lord and, and all that stuff. So that's going on. So he's worshiping on a Sunday, on a, actually on a Saturday, but on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Sabbath, he's worshiping and uh, the Lord gives him a vision of heaven. And so it's this, this, this beautiful, just amazing imagery, most of which we can't understand. We don't know for sure what's going on, but so much of it we get. In chapter 5, we get this amazing imagery where, where John, some angels come and are like, hey, we need this scroll. It's like, you know, like old school, like you rolled up paper, right, parchment. We need this scroll opened. They come to John, they say, we need the scroll. This scroll is going to fix stuff. This scroll is the answer. This scroll is how creation is going to get renewed and restored. We need this scroll. And so John looks around and John's like, there's nobody worthy to open the scroll. There's, who's going to open the scroll? And he begins to weep. 
and mourn over the loss of what's in that scroll for creation and the help that we so desperately need, the help that he needs while he's by himself on the island of Patmos, the help that his friends need and the persecuted church and all this stuff. And he's like, man, we need to open the scroll. And he's weeping and crying. And all of a sudden, an elder in heaven comes up. And the elder says, dude, John, I know who can open this scroll. The lion. The lion of Judah can open this scroll. And he's like, yeah, the lion. He's like, and he starts looking for the lion. Okay, the lion's going to open the scroll. And he turns and he sees the throne. And what he sees on the throne is not the lion. What he sees on the throne is the lamb that was slain. So he's expecting lion, condemnation, judgment, power, might. Meow. Right? That's what I just did compared to a real lion's roar. Have you ever heard a real lion's roar? Have you ever been in a zoo and like heard a lion like really getting after it? You feel it. It's like subwoofers are in his voice box. Like you feel the sub of his voice. You don't just hear it. You feel it. You, you automatically are just... I was terrified the first time I heard it. I'll never forget. I was 14. I was, I was at the zoo with a school field trip. And I heard this roar, and I was terrified. Because I could, you don't just hear it, you feel it. It's in, you feel it in your chest. So he's thinking, that makes sense. Lion's gonna come, lion's gonna open it, lion's gonna, he's, he's angry, might, power, rah, he's gonna figure it out. And he turns and he sees the lamb that was slain. This is so good. It's so good because we deserve the lion. We deserve to be judged, to be condemned. We deserve raw to be eaten. We deserve the lion. We've broken stuff. We've broken creation itself. And what do we get in return? We get the lamb that was slain. We get Jesus suffering, bleeding, dying on the cross, taking the punishment that you and I deserved. That's what we get in return for our brokenness. What? That's what Pastor talked about two weeks ago, and it is so good. I had to say it again. So when you come to church and you know that you've broken stuff, that you've broken relation, that you've broken relationship with God, that you've sinned and you come and you're expecting to be condemned and you're not sure if you should even show up and you're not sure if you could even raise your hands to worship, guess what? The lion is the lamb that was slain. There's forgiveness for you. There's hope for you. There's restoration for you. There is reconciliation for you. And for me. Because I still need it. Lord knows I need it. So Paul is saying, there's this reconciliation for you. The lion is the lamb that was slain. He's for you, not against you. He's reconciling you to himself. And we're like, yeah, we get that. And then he starts talking about this crazy thing called the ministry of reconciliation. There's this way, there's this life to be lived. It's not just about me getting my forgiveness from Jesus and moving on. There's this ministry of reconciliation where God, who has now 
forgiven and reconciled us and invited us and forgiven us and restored the relationship that was broken, now sends you and me out into a broken world to reconcile the world to him. It's a ministry of reconciliation. And that's not just for pastors. Can I get an amen, pastors? (laughs) You don't hire us to do the ministry of reconciliation. We all are called to steward now this restoration of relationship that we've been given to a dark and broken world, to our neighbors. Yeah. Two people who we go to work with. Yep. Two people who we live next to. Two people who we sleep next to. Even our spouses are included in that. Can I get an amen, spouses? You're like, well, you don't know my spouse. Well, my spouse knows me, and it's true for me, so hi. Right? The world. In Colossians 1.20, Paul writes, For Christ is reconciling all things to himself. All things. All things. Everybody say all things. All things. You're included in all things, and so am I. This is really great. We, we're, we get this. But so is everything out there. All things, even creation itself. That's why we do beautiful things at a church, like go to Haiti and send people to Romania, because every, even the dark spaces of this earth, Christ is longing to reconcile to himself, to offer the lamb that was slain, to offer love and hope and peace and forgiveness and restoration to himself. That's why we go to dark places, because Christ is reconciling all things. That's why we go to dark places like our neighborhoods. See, it's not just out there. It's around here, right? That's why we go to dark places like our families. Like our friends. Yeah, see, it's not just out here. It's here, right? So because a story speaks a thousand words, I'm going to read a story to you. Now, this still has to do with the ministry of reconciliation. I'm trying to get at it and explain it, and I'm going to read the story. And I know that when I hear somebody read something to me, I know that I check out. So I'm going to ask you to do what I do something that I don't do. I'm going to ask you to still dig in. And, and Okay, here we go. This is a story about a pastor who lived, he's a real, real dude. Um, he lived in Romania, and that's why I love this story for today. He was a pastor in Romania in the 1940s, and he was, a, he was a pastor when the Nazi regime had come into Romania and was taking over that whole area of the world. And here we go. This is a soldier talking to the pastor. In the concentration camp where I worked, I killed many Jews, even Jews with children in their arms, the man boasted to Pastor Wormbrand. He had just come back from the front fighting for the Nazis and was proud of his accomplishments. He was glad to tell them to anyone who would listen. Having heard the good German name Wormbrand, the man must have had no idea that the pastor who he spoke with was a Jew. In response to being privileged with hearing the man's barbarity and murdering, most Christians would have been a loss for words, but not Pastor Wormbrand. He promptly and affectionately invited the man to his home for dinner. The man loved music, and when Pastor Rembrandt told him he would play the piano for him, he said he would be glad to come. 
When the man arrived that evening, there were some other believers present, but his wife, Sabina, was feeling ill, so she stayed in her room that night. Pastor Wormbrand played the piano for them all, and they had a wonderful evening together enjoying the music. After that, they all had a long discussion into the night, further enjoying one another's company. When it had grown quite late, Pastor Wormbrand turned to the soldier and said, Sir, I have something I'd like to tell you. You must promise me that you will listen for ten minutes quietly. After that ten minutes, you can say whatever you like. The man was smiling broadly from all he had enjoyed that evening and said quite warmly, All right, all right, you can speak to me for even more than ten minutes. I promise I will not interrupt you. You can say whatever you like. In the other room, the pastor began, My wife is sleeping. She is Jewish, and I am Jewish too. Her family, which is also my family, perished in the big Nazi concentration camp where you boasted that you killed Jews with children still in their arms. So you are presumably the very murderer of my family. Now I suppose you an experiment. We will pass into the other room and I will tell my wife who you are. I can assure you that my wife will not speak one word of reproach to you, nor will she look angrily at you, but will smile at you as in a very honored guest. She will go and prepare coffee and cookies for you. You will be received just like everyone else. Now if my wife, who is only human, can do this, if she can love you like this, knowing what you have done, and can forgive you, then how much more will Jesus forgive you, who is love? The man began to tear at his jacket. What have I done? What have I done? I am guilty of so much blood. The pastor said, well, then let us kneel, brother. And ask forgiveness from God. They knelt. First Pastor Wormbrand said a short prayer. Then the man who did not know how to pray, but simply said again and again, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you will forgive me. There were many tears. And then he and the pastor embraced. I have promised you an experiment. Now we will go see my wife, the pastor said. Sabina had heard nothing while sleeping in the other room far away in the house from the man from the main room where they had been speaking. They went to her, and Pastor Wormbrand woke her. Do you know this man? Pastor Wormbrand began. No, she replied sleepily. So he introduced the man. This is the murderer of your sisters, your brothers, and your parents. But now he has repented, and he is our brother in the Messiah, our brother in the faith. What do you have to say to him? She got up, fell around his neck, and they both wept together. That is the ministry of reconciliation. That, the depth of that, the beauty of that, I'm not sure I have ever tasted. I'm not sure I have given that depth and that beauty up to this point in my life. But that is what it is. Just the same. It's this, I have been reconciled, and I am a steward of this reconciliation, this restoration, and I give it as it was given to me freely, fully. I give. Now, I don't know about you, but I notice, transition here, I'm just giving you a warning. They, They come without warning, so I tried to give you one. I notice that in and of myself, there are a few things in me that trip me up as I begin to try and live into this reconciliation ministry. There are things that trip me up. 
And I've noticed that Jesus gets at some of that when he teaches. And so with you, I would like to get at a little bit of that. That stuff in me, that stuff in us that trips us up, that stuff that hinders it, that stuff that, does that make sense? That stuff that kind of like keeps me from really like leaning into this reconciliation that has been given me to give. Does that make sense? So here we go. So in the meantime... While you and I, we're, I'm, uh, while we're doing that, turn to Matthew 7. It's going to be up on the screen. But you and I are in the meantime a lot of times. We're trying to lean in into this ministry of reconciliation. But, but we're not. The person that we're leaning in with, it hasn't fully been restored yet. It's still weird. Things are still weird. It's, it's, he, there hasn't been that moment of repentance and it's still, it's still, we're, tr- we're trying, we're, it's still, and in that meantime, because a lot of us are in the meantime, even creation itself, we're living in the meantime for all of creation to be reconciled to Jesus. Reconciliation is here and yet it's not quite fully here yet. Have you noticed? Like there's still brokenness in relationships. There's still, I still break stuff. You still break. We're kind of still in the meantime. In the meantime, what does Jesus say about the meantime? Everybody say meantime. Chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now this, this word judge here is not discernment. This word judge here is not healthy confrontation. This word here is not discerning like, okay, this is good for me, this is bad for me. That's not what this is. This is, not, this is not healthy stuff that Jesus is referring to. This word judge here is referring to accuse. Yeah. It's the accuser. It's the, it's, it's, it's the times when we, when we put others on trial and we drop the gavel and they've been condemned. And it's, it's the pushing, I'm pushing somebody else away. I mean, it's, you know, it's the freeway. <laughs> it's the freeway. It happens when somebody cuts me off. I didn't give them permission to cut me off. I didn't say, I, I wish you had like a little clicker on the side of your steering wheel. Like, yes, it's appropriate for you to do what you're thinking of doing right now. No, it's not. Right? Because I want to make people into my image. Because I want people to do what I want them to do. And then in that space, I begin to accuse. Oh, drivers these days. Or you add a caveat, depending on how old you think that driver looks, right? Why don't we do that? Right? It's the accuser. Now, the funny thing about the accuser, there's somebody else in Scripture who's called the accuser. Who is that? It's the very enemy of God himself. Yeah. It's the devil. It's the accuser. But I don't know about you, but I find myself as I'm trying to lean into reconciliation, as I'm trying to, I'm in the waiting period between it all getting better and it not being weird anymore. I'm in the waiting period. I find the accuser rising up in me. I want to accuse. And there's a couple reasons why I want to do that. Before we get to that, I'm going to read a little bit more about what Jesus says about it. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, you play actor. 
First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I love this. I think God created humor, and I think Jesus, who was a carpenter, is teaching, and I think it's supposed to be funny. It's meant to be funny. He's talking about something that's really personal to us. When you start talking about, hey, we might be judging, people automatically put their walls up. So I think, and I might be wrong, but I'm not, I think that Jesus, who's a carpenter, picked up, literally picked up a log and started teaching. Yeah, I do. I think he picked it up and he was like, who are you to try and take the speck? Rob, there's a speck in your eye, buddy. I'm going to get it for you. Hey, come a little closer. Come on, dude. I'm going to get it for you. Here, let's move your face a little bit. Maybe I can come on this side. Come a little closer, Rob. You have this issue in your life, Rob. You cut me off on the freeway, Rob. (laughs) Right? It's real funny and it's obvious that, wait, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And... Interesting thing about it. Thank you. Can we give it up for Rob? Thank you for Rob. I hope I didn't bend your glasses too much. Um, What it makes us is we are so poignantly trying to fix other people, accuse other people's stuff. We become blind to our own giant plank in our own eye. It blinds us. Accusing blinds us. It blinds us from the truth. The truth that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in the midst of waiting and hurting and longing, we kind of, I get caught up in that. Maybe it's just me, but I get caught up in that. And Jesus is like, hey, watch out for that. As you're leaning into reconciliation, watch out for the accuser in you. Watch out, it'll rise up. And there's two reasons why I accuse. I'm going to get out real quick. Two reasons. First reason is this. This is why I accuse. You might have your own reasons, but these two are why I do. First one is to fix people. <laughs> right? Fix people. You cut me off. How dare you? I'm going to fix you. Lion. I'm not giving you the lamb right now. Stop it. Right? I'm going to fix you. I'm going to make you into my image. You stop annoying me. That's all we need to figure out right now. <laughs> if you will just stop annoying me, then all will be right with the world. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, that's just me? Oh, okay. Um, we, we want to fix people. Because people are broken. But I'm not, notice, when I'm in the accuser space, I'm not seeking reconciliation. No, I just want you to be different because it's hard for me. See, reconciliation says, I want us to be different and I'm willing to come alongside you. We're together in this. It's not accusatory. It's peacemaking. It's restorative. I'm not just trying to get you to stop because you're annoying me. I care about you. I care about us. Let's be restored. That is very different than accuser. Are you with me? I started meddling. I don't know if you're with me. Yeah. So I want to fix. That's that's part of my accuser. That's part of why I do it. And honestly, sometimes it works. That's what makes it so hard to not do it. Sometimes it works for me to roar at you and try and influence my power and manipulation at you, try and control you to get you to do what I want you to do. Oh, it's not for your good, it's for mine, but sometimes it still works. We do that in our families. We do that in our friends. And it's the accuser. And it's not reconciliation. 
It's not the lamb that was slain. I do it. I say we on purpose. That's not just like a speaking tool. It's we. It's me. Second reason why I do it is to make myself feel better (laughs) about me. Right? Because if I can focus on your spec, Rob, then I don't have to focus on my giant, you know, microphone stand. That's in my face. I can feel better. And Jesus gets at both of these in the next thing that he says. He says this, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This verse has been taught outside of this context a lot. But I'm going to suggest something to you. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It just is what it is. I'm going to suggest to you, though, that it's in this context that Jesus voices it. And I'm going to suggest to you that we, when we try and fix, we become pearl pushers. Yeah, pearl pushers. Yeah, that's what we do. See, I have the wisdom that you should also have. I'm wearing a tie today. I even tucked in my shirt. See, I think that you... I don't typically tuck in my shirt, by the way. I think that you should be doing what I think you should be doing. Yeah, fix you. So I'm going to shove my wisdom down your throat, even though you don't eat pearls, you just eat food like every other normal person. But you, and you better, and you, and you, right? And it makes myself feel better. See, I think Jesus is still being sarcastic here in this text. I think when he mentions referencing pigs and dogs, I think he's referencing the mode that we get into when we are accusative. We think we're above them. We think that they're pigs and dogs. And we have the wisdom ah, from on high. We have no fault. We have, right? Can't see that. It's, it's this accuser stuff. And Jesus is saying, watch out when you start treating, when you start considering people like pigs and dogs. Watch out. Watch out when you start pushing pearls. Watch out. Watch out for that stuff. You're in accuser territory. And Jesus is saying, that's not me. That's not reconciliation. That's not what I died to give you. That's not me, Jesus is saying. Now, Then he gets into this, and this is what I'm going to close with. He gets into this teaching, and in your Bibles, there is a break in Scripture here. And that's good and right, and we need an address to figure out where we are in Scripture. Can you imagine if there were no numbers in your Bible trying to find out where somebody else is reading from? That's terrifying to me. Like, I'm on, uh, it's like halfway through, it's like, but there's this break here, okay? But I think it's still in the midst of his teaching on judging and accusing. And we read this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I think, I read this theologian, his name is Dallas Willard. He's he's passed away now, but phenomenal theologian. Led the theology department at USC for many years. Just a phenomenal Jesus lover. And this is what he wrote about. And I think he's right. I think this is in reference to still, hey, when you're, in acu- when you're in accuser territory, when you see it in yourself, pray and pray like crazy. Pray and pray. Everybody say pray. 
Pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. Pray like crazy because you are not in reconciliation land. You are in accuser land and watch out because nothing good comes from there. Watch out. And then and so pray, pray like crazy. And then he, he says this, verse nine, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? So when so there's this. We've heard this teaching on prayer so much, and, and it's true. So when you're in accuser territory and you're asking Jesus for help, guess what? He hears you. That's a good word for me. Because I need help. Because that's a stuck space. And I need help. And Jesus is saying, man, God hears you when you're in that space. Ask him. Pray. Pray like crazy. He hears you. He's there with you. Even though you're in accuser territory, God does not turn around and accuse you. Oh my gosh, that is really, that, that was a good place for an amen. Because he's still reconciling you, even in our messiness. Oh man, this is he's just that good. But here's where I think it's still connected to the accuser teaching. Because of verse 12. Verse 12 wraps up this whole section. And he says this. It has nothing to do with prayer, but it has a lot to do with what he was talking about earlier. He says this, so in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's exactly what we're talking about. We have been reconciled even though we didn't deserve it. So now go and do the same. Let go of the accuser in you. Pray, pray like crazy. And Dallas Willard takes it even another step further. And I love this. I love this. And I'm closing with this. I already said that, but I close like eight times every week. So here we go. I love this. Dallas Willard said, what if it's prayer? That's absolutely true. What if it's also ask the person who the relationship is broken with? Oh, we saw it with Pastor Wormbrand. Did we not? What did he do? He overhears this man gloating about murdering his family. And what does he do in response? He invites. He asks. Oh yeah, Pastor Wormbrand seeks. He sought out this man. He sought him out. He invited him into his home. His home of all places. He invited him into his home. He fed him and cooked him dinner. He served him. He played music for him. He loved on this man. He asked. He sought. He knocked on the door of this man's heart. What if rec- the, the ministry of reconciliation was even just simply knocking on your neighbor's door? What if it was simply just asking somebody to lunch? What if it was simply just saying hi to somebody who is obviously a different religion than you? What if the ministry of reconciliation was that fundamentally simple? But then that sounds like Jesus to me. Does it to you? Yeah. When you have come to me and said, how's your wife? When you asked that simple question, you were ministering reconciliation to me. In spaces that were very dark for me. You ministered reconciliation to me. 
And I heard God's love loud and clear. I heard the lamb that was slain. I didn't hear the lion. Get it right, Brian. Suck it up. Figure it out. Come on, you can do this. I didn't hear the lion. I didn't hear that. I heard the lamb that was slain. And I felt it and I knew it and I wanted more of him because of it. And that's exactly what will happen out there and in here when we offer simple asks, simple seeking, simple knocking to each other. People tell me all the time, man, I don't want to be a Christian because being a Christian is boring. And I'm like, what? You're doing it wrong if it's boring. Seriously, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Because when I lean into this reconciliation in really simple ways, like asking and seeking and inviting to a lunch and just saying, hey, want to hang out? And hey, hey, hello, how are you? Just really simple things. You know what happens? God does stuff that I can't do. When I invite a family member who is still breaking his relationship with me and I keep inviting him into my life, what happens? God, this stuff that I can't do. He changes me, stirs something in me. The accuser leaves, and I don't know how, but it's this just mystery. It's a beautiful mystery of what God does when we lean into it. It's ministry of reconciliation. When we lean into dark spaces where people who have been, been just tortured and abused and and we seek them out and we invite them and we ask them and we go to Romania just to simply be with them. What are you going to do? We're going to be with them. Well, what do you mean? You got to do something. No, that's the ministry of reconciliation. It's, It's the invitation to relationship. It's, yeah, you may have broken this, but I'm still inviting. Why? Because Jesus is doing that with me. And i got to share it. See, this, this body and this blood, this, these communion elements, we remember Jesus giving his body on the cross, suffering, bleeding, and dying, and shedding his blood, taking our place, reconciling us to himself, us who had broke it, he who hadn't, and he made things right with us. We remember it when we take this. When we take and partake and we eat. And as we close the service today, worship team can come up. As we, as we close this, or whatever's happening with that. As we close the service today, there's, a, there's, a, there's another layer to this. The other layer to this is that when we come and we take together of the same cup and the same bread, we have been reconciled to each other. Yeah, it's not just me and God. It's me and you. And yeah, you're messy, yep. And I'm messy, yep. And we have been reconciled because of what Jesus has done even to each other, yep. No matter your skin color, no matter your economic status, no matter mine, we have now been reconciled and restored to each other in Christ who is reconciling all things, all things. All things, even us. And so today, I only have one of each. And uh, Pastor Running is going to come and help me. I didn't talk to him about this. I did right now, but not before right now. 
So He's going to come and He's going to serve. He is our shepherd here. He is my shepherd. He is my authority. And I am reconciled to Him in Christ. And we don't always agree. We don't on little things. But Jesus has reconciled us to each other. And I minister that reconciliation to Him. And He, time and time and time again, has ministered that reconciliation to me. And we do the same with each other. So it's gonna, it might take a little bit longer. And I don't know how we're going to do rose today. Normally we have it all figured out. I don't know how we're doing rose, but would you all come? If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, come and watch as we are all reconciled to each other in Christ. Even amongst the bread and the juice.